thank you for waiting. Uh, they realized I didn't have the right slide up. So I'm so thankful for our, our AV team, our musicians, our singers, uh, the, the effort that um, uh, Aaron puts into picking the music and, and leading us into singing as an aspect of worship. Um, my hope for you this morning is that uh, this particular time as we get into God's Word will also be a, a time of worship. Um, the words that Paul is speaking to the Galatians in uh, the text we're going to study today are, are passionate words. Um, I hope to convey them as such. Um, but I, I did realize as uh, we were singing that I said we we're going to pray um, for Darlene. And then I didn't pray for her by name. I know we prayed. So I'm going to start off our time together for pray for Darlene. I think it actually fits within the context of our passage today. But also... Um, just as a means of, of maybe encouraging you, John, and encouraging her if she's watching. Is she watching? Okay. All right. She say she is? Probably sleeping. Maybe watch it later. So, Darlene, praying for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege again to come to you in prayer. Thank you for Darlene. Lord, you have brought her through much, both her and John. And we do pray, Lord, for strength to, be, to come into her body. She needs sustenance. She needs nourishment. The, her body needs to recover from all that it's gone through. And Lord, we just pray that you'd give wisdom to the doctors, that you'd give um, just uh, patience for both John and Darlene as they wait for uh, things to get better. But may you be glorified through it. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified through the preaching and the response to your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have uh, been studying Galatians, and uh, it's a fabulous study. This past week, this last Sunday, we, we considered the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers grants us immediate intimacy with God. So just to rehearse a couple things from last week is the idea of when we talk about this word intimacy, many people want to run away. I don't know if that's you, and please don't run away. Everybody would know. All right, so, um, but... This idea of intimacy is one that can be uncomfortable for people, but we're talking about being the, the, the fact that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have intimacy with God. Now, for, for myself, prior to coming to faith in Christ, the idea of God knowing my every thought and my every action would have sent shivers down my spine, often did. I went through the motions of what I thought I had to do to make that right with God. But, but when I came to a realization of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, what Jesus Christ did on my behalf brings me genuine, true intimacy with God to where I can know that God knows my thoughts and knows my actions and does not reject me. That's good news, folks. And that's the good news of the gospel, that we can enjoy this intimacy. So knowing this truth, we talked about there were um, uh, the fact that, well, one, that there's no other gospel that gives us this intimacy. We can talk to all kinds of religious people in the world, and they will talk all about uh, their, their faith and what they believe in. But no other gospel gives us the intimacy that the true gospel of Jesus Christ gives. And so that's why we're so passionate about the gospel being for every person at every moment. So we considered three absolutes last week. I reworded the third one, so it's actually phrased as an absolute. But we talked about the fact that ignorance of God will never lead to intimacy with God. How can you know someone intimately if, you, if you've never met them, if you don't know them, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a basic uh, belief of our faith. Ignorance of God is a bad thing, and we need to make sure that we are helping people understand who God is and who Jesus Christ is and how their existence and their plan, they can change uh, a person's life, all right? So absolute number one. Absolute number two, uh, intimacy with God will always lead to faithfulness to God. This is also one of those things. If you want to be intimate with God, right, then you spend time in His Word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time with His people. You do all the things that He's encouraged you to do and commanded you to do. And when we're doing those acts of intimacy, we will be living lives of faithfulness. And, that's, and this is a beautiful thing. I mean, to think that our life can actually please God, it sounds insane, but it's true. We are capable of walking faithfully through our life to the joy of God, and, and, and that it's th through this intimate relationship we have that this all, can all take place. 
And then absolute number three is basically summing up the first two in a sense, but this is also an absolute. Lack of intimacy with God is always evidenced by either ignorance or unfaithfulness. For a, for a lack of intimacy to exist in a person's life, if, it, if they're ignorant of, who he's exist, of, of God's existence and who Jesus Christ is and what the gospel is all about, then that's talking about a, an unbeliever, a non-Christian, someone who is, who is uh, just not aware of, of all that they could have in Christ and be in Christ and live to the glory of God in Christ. Um, they're either ignorant of him or believer, someone who claims to, to have come to faith, if a believer is characterized by a life of lack of intimacy, their life will also be characterized by unfaithfulness. They, will, they, will be, they, they do not have the sustaining, uh, uh, they have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, but they're not taking advantage of that. They're not living that out in, in intimacy with God, so therefore they're going to make decisions that don't glorify God. They'll do things in their own strength. All right, so with these three absolutes in mind and, and with that idea of, of, of intimacy with God is a good thing, let's consider this as we look into verses 12 through 20 of chapter 4. Our shared intimacy, the shared intimacy we have as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, our shared intimacy with God, excuse me, is the basis of our love for one another. I said that wrong. So go by the words on the screen. Just ignore the man behind the pulpit. All right, so our shared intimacy with God what we know exists is the basis of our love for one another. So as, we, as I mentioned, the word intimacy kind of makes people want to run away. So does this word love. Love for some people is, is a word that is fraught with danger. It's fraught with baggage. Uh, you, you know, and, and the world wants to say they're, they're the exact same, but there's a distinction between intimacy and love. And so as we, as we consider this, this intimacy with God, this ability to step into his presence in prayer, in worship, right? We can do this because of what Christ has done on our behalf. But this intimacy that we have is supposed to make a difference in the way we relate to one another, the way we live amongst one another. And so Paul is going to be uh, helping us understand some aspects of this love that we're supposed to have with one another so Paul is writing to the Galatians with an impassioned tenderness. And so I, I put this slide on here to remind myself that I need to explain the heartbeat of Paul. And so as you sit here this morning, uh, you may be a parent who has children. You may be a school teacher who is ministering to kids in school. You may be a, just, you might have some really good friends that you just count very dear in the Lord. And what, what we're going to understand here is Paul writes to the Galatians, He's writing with a tenderness of relationship. But it's a passionate, it's a passionate tenderness. Um, some people believe that the text we're reading uh, uh, could be really best understood as the relationship between a parent and a child. Others believe that could be best understood by uh, understanding the relationship that exists between a pastor and, and, uh, and members of the congregation. And so as I preach today, I hope to come across as somewhat tender uh, but somehow somewhat impassioned or passionate about what Paul is writing to them because what Paul is writing to them, God has allowed us to engage with, and therefore we also are supposed to uh, pay attention and learn and grow by what uh, he, is, he, he is sharing here. So Paul is seeking to show the, the Galatians that they are in a state of peril. The actions that they are involved in... Um, He's going to, he's going to, he's been pointing it out. And he's saying that I, I'm going to appeal to the shared love for Christ. Our shared love, Paul's going to say, my shared love, you Galatians and me, we have this shared love of God. It's genuine. It's real. And he's going to remind them of this shared love. And he's going to use it to try and convince them of the peril in which they are currently in, or they were in their, in their day. I don't know if you think of your life as being in peril. I th I'm, not, I'm not talking about, uh, uh, the, I heard there was an accident yesterday. I don't know how the person, it was a one-car accident with a telephone pole. I don't know if that person survived or not. But, uh, you know, there's accidents all around us. We know those things happen. That's not the kind of peril that we're talking about. It's not the kind of peril that when people go out to uh, these dangerous places and, and, and do dangerous things and they're putting their life in peril. No, this isn't something that we're volitionary, uh, volition, volitionally doing. These aren't choices we're making. These are things that are going on around us 
and, and there's influence in our lives. And yes, we are making choices in response to those influences. But nonetheless, there is this act of, of reality that Paul was confronting the Galatians in what they were doing. What were they doing? Well, he said, I'm worried at the end of verse 7. I'm worried that somehow my, my work, my labor of love has been in vain. And that somehow you are not the believers that I, I believe you to be. And, and, he, and he says that uh, maybe uh, you have um, gone down the, the wrong road. And, and so he's continuing this, this heartbeat of Paul. is continuing this idea of being perplexed, being confused, being amazed at what is going on in the life of the Galatians because of the false teachers that are leading them the wrong way, because they are observing days and, and weeks and months of the year, uh, as, which is a reference to the Jewish law that we talked about last week. So I want to talk about six appeals of love. Now, I'm drawing this from the text. Paul is, is uh, these are words of Paul. Th- this particular passage of Scripture, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 20, uh, many commentators admit it's a very difficult part of Paul to read and understand. Maybe you've struggled with it. So let me help you bridge the gap from misunderstanding to understanding and say, Paul is not setting forth uh, principle A with subpoint one with subpoint A. You know, you know how that works. Paul is very systematic in his teaching, and he has been very systematically bringing the Galatians to an understanding of the will of God and the plan of God. But when we get into these words here, Paul is talking out of his, from his heart. He is impassioned. He is trying to convey to them this. He, it, these words that he's speaking are relational words. Yes, they're truthful words, but he is not trying to expound Old Testament scripture. He's trying to call them to account for what they already know. So I believe there are six appeals of love we can draw from these texts. And the first appeal of love, we'll spend the, most of the time on the first two, and then the next uh, four will go a little quicker. But appeal of love number one is this. Leave your self-imposed imprisonment, Galatians. The door is open. Walk in the freedom you have in Christ. So when my intensity comes out, you know this is true, you know, my, my, I get like, oh, I want this. Well, understand, this is good news. These are tender words. This is Paul speaking to the Galatians, and he's telling them they need to do something. They are, they are being drawn back under the, under the influence of the law, and we already know from prior, from prior instruction, the law was, our, was their prison guard for Jews. It was their tutor Remember, the law, as Paul has already instructed uh, the Galatians, was never intended to save anybody. It was only intended to convey the way of salvation, which is through Christ, because nobody could, no one could live the law perfectly. So it was our prison guard, it was our tutor, and yet these false teachers are trying to draw these, these Galatians back to it, and they are having a level of success because now they're obser- observing days and weeks and months in, in fulfillment of the law. So Paul is saying, listen, leave your self-imposed imprisonment, the one you've gone back to of your own will through the influence of the other, these others. The door is open to walk in the freedom you have in Christ. So I'm, I'm sharing this, and we'll look at the words of Scripture in a minute, but as I share this, I ask you to consider, do you know people who you look at and you say, they're in prison? Now, I think oftentimes I think of someone who's, a, who's uh, imprisoned by an addiction, uh, I think of someone who's imprisoned by, uh, in a relationship they can't, they can't break away from. Uh, they're, they're, they're imprisoned by, and, and all these are negative things. When you're in prison, it's a negative thing. Paul was able to overcome his imprisonment in Rome because he knew for me to die is, 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 uh, is gain. I get to go to be with the Lord, right? For me to live is Christ. For me to die is Christ. It's okay. I'm good. Here we can see that there are people in our own lives, and I have one person in my mind, I won't go into the details of her life, but I have one person in my mind, every time I think of someone being in prison, I think of this young lady. And I think of the words of her father to me as we are actually uh, standing in an airport, and, uh, and he's conveying to me the journey that she had been on. And she had gotten rolled up into, I don't know if it would technically fall underneath the auspice or the, the description of a cult. 
But it was definitely a Christian organization that had brought her into submission, and it was very legalistic. And he was sitting here, he was sharing with me, outside of her hearing, he was sharing with me the joy of knowing that um, he was, she was able to be under his care again, and he could help her get out of the influence of these people. So as we consider this imprisonment, I'm drawing this from as uh, verse 12, part A, the first part. He says, brethren, I urge you to become like me. For I became like you. How am I getting freedom from this? I'm gonna, I've shared a lot already. But first of all, let's point out the fact that we are talking about Christians. He's saying brethren. And he says, I urge you to become like me. It sounds a little like 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But he's actually conveying something different. He's saying, listen, I'm urging you to become like me. This is not boastful. This is not in any sense. This is for their good. He's saying, Galatians, Galatian Christians, you have a need of becoming like me. But he says there's, there's something attached to that. It says, uh, well, first of all, this is what caught me off guard is the fact that this is the first imperative in the letter of the Galatians. I thought that was interesting because we are well pat. We're into the, the middle and beyond of this letter, and we're just getting to the first command of Scripture. And the command he chooses to make very first is become like me. But he says, become like me, for I became like you. So he's saying, Galatian Christians, become like me now because I became like you in the past. What in the world is he talking about? There's all kinds of people that give you all kinds of theories. But I think what makes the most sense in the context of Galatians is he's saying, listen, I became like you. As a Jew of the Jews, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I became you. I left the law in my rearview mirror, and I stepped out in freedom of Christ. In the freedom of Christ, I'm not tied to the law. I am free. It is no longer my slave master. It is no longer my tutor. I recognize the role. I am free in Christ, and I have done that. Like you Galatians who were free from the Jewish law, you weren't saved yet, but I, I became like you. I became free. I came out from under the law. And now you, who are going back to the very law I left, you are in need of now becoming like me. Now you are in the position of, of, of entering into a belief that somehow observance of the law is going to make you right with God. He says, no, 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 no. I left the law. You need to leave the law as what you're trusting in for salvation. We are free in Christ, folks. And, and if I could have one drum and just pound on it day in and day, day out uh, of trying to get people within Christianity to understand we are free. And that means we are free. It doesn't mean we are free to do all the things that, that are sinful and all those things that don't bring glory to God. No, we are free to give glory to God in everything. 1 Corinthians 10.31. We, we are free. And I don't by the way, this is the pastor of the congregation now. This isn't Paul. This, this, is, this is a guy that's been down the road long enough to know that I came to faith and I got pulled back. I, I grew in my faith and I kept getting pulled back. I, I grew in my faith and I get pulled back. And finally I was like, I want to be done getting pulled back. I, I want to stop. I want you to stop. Not because you're doing wrong. Here, this is the tender and passion speech, right? This is me loving you. And I want you to love others the same way. We are free in Christ. There is no going back and still having the same gospel. We are free to live our life for the glory of God. We were once slaves to sin and death, but now we're free to life and life eternal. It's beautiful. And we need to be enjoying this life not observing our sinful passions, embracing the very love of God that he has shown forth for us. That's what Paul's conveying here. Do you see it? It may be hard. I get it. But if you've been listening to, to, to the, 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 the message of Galatians, Paul is saying there's no other gospel that gives this to you. Brethren, I urge you, become like me as I became like you. 
they would have known maybe in full expression of what that was about. Fuller than we do, we did not live the experiences they lived. But Paul is free from the law like the Gentiles. Now they are in need of leaving the law like Paul had done. So our love for one another should always point to the freedom we have in Christ. Paul was continually doing this. And, and it's certainly it's a, a main, major theme within Galatians. But our love for one another, the love that we're supposed to share, it should always be pointing to the freedom we have in Christ. Never to imprisonment. Never. All those people that drew me back and drew me back, they weren't meaning to be drawing me in the wrong direction. But I had to overcome their influences over and over again until I matured to the point of saying, no, I can stand on my own two feet. I can stand in the presence of God and and say, I know who I am in Christ. Do you know who you are in Christ? What is it that prevents you from being free? We're going to consider that. Are you walking in freedom or are you self-imprisoned? What is it in your life that may have drawn you back in under some bondage of something, whatever it might be. I can't, put a, I can't put a finger on it. You have got to evaluate your own life, your own experience. And, and, and as you engage in Scripture and you think, well, I feel like I should be able to, well, they say I can't do that, but I feel like I should be able to do this. Uh, wrestle with it. Study and figure it out. Are you walking in freedom or are you somehow self-imprisoned? Have you allowed wrong influences to hinder your walk? With Christ. Now, I'm not talking about the, the wrong sinful influences. I'm not, I'm not talking about the, your own passions giving birth to sin, right? I'm not talking about those temptations that come across your way that you act upon. And those are not the things I'm talking about in this text. Have you allowed wrong influence? And when I say influence, I'm thinking people. I'm thinking teaching. That's what's going on in Galatian churches. They have people coming with teaching, and they're influencing. Have you allowed wrong influences to hinder your walk with Christ? Maybe it's wrong thinking, wrong assumptions being made from what has been taught about Scripture for generations. And then you come upon the text of Scripture and you think, I don't think it says that. Study and and be willing to overcome the wrong influences in your life and walk free in Christ. Steps of faith and past are never to be obstacles of faith in the present. The fact is that we have, we have taken steps of faith. I took steps of faith. I've already illustrated it multiple times. I went this way. I took a step of faith. And then I got brought back. I took another step. But sometimes we, there are certain areas of life where we think we've arrived. We're not looking to discover Christ anymore. We're not looking to discover the things of God anymore. We think we've arrived in a particular area. And so we, we took a step of faith, and we're not, we're not moving. It feels too good. I remember when I took that step, that step of faith, and it feels really good, and God was pleased with me there. I want to stay there. I want to stay in that place where God feels, where I know God is happy with me. This is right. This is good. And we were ignorant to the fact that God is saying, take another step. Take another step. Like, no, no, I, I, I like it here. This is where I'm comfortable. Steps of faith in the past, good things but they're never, uh, they're never to be an excuse or an obstacle to faith in the present. We are called to continually take steps of faith until our last step is to eternity. There's never a time in our life where we are not supposed to be discovering new things about God, about how His Word is supposed to impact our life, how our life is supposed to be impacting the lives of others. We are always called to take steps of faith. So being anchored in the past may lead to disobedience and the pressure. We all need to be aware of that. Because the Galatians were being drawn to the past. It wasn't their past. It was other people's past. But they were being wrong influences. And Paul was calling out these false teachers, and he was encouraging and loving upon the Galatians to help them understand the way forward. So what is hindering you from taking your next step of faith? We have this piece of furniture in the back there. It's called the connection desk. We have people that man it from time to time and, and, or woman it from time to time, right? They go back there, and out of the gracious of their heart, one of the things that that is available is for you to say, I would like to know how to take the next step of faith. That is the purpose and intent of that piece of furniture. It's to help others figure out how to take the next step of faith. When you go there, they're not going to be able to, you know, pull out of a cookie a little piece of paper and tell you 
what that is. But they will say, now listen, we'll gladly hook you up with someone that would be willing to talk to you and, and understand your context of life and figure out a way for you to take the next step. Maybe you know the next step, but you don't know how to live it out here. They're going to help you figure that out. We're going to help you figure that out. But I ask you to consider, what is hindering you from taking the next step of faith? Is it a wrong belief? Is, is it influence of others? Is it something from your past? All right? I think what is hindering you from taking your next step of faith? I think you could say there's all kinds of fears out there. It might be fear of people. It might be fear of, of consequences. Uh, it, is it a longing for something or someone? Has something or someone taken God's rightful place on the throne of your life? Right? God is your, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, right? I had a lot of discussions about that recently. It's a good thing to be reminded of the fact that, listen, God is God and nobody else is. But do you have a longing for something or someone that is getting in your way from taking a step of faith? Is it false teaching? I hope it's not taking place from this pulpit. But ultimately, you are responsible for what you believe. You are supposed to be studying the Word of God. And yes, if I'm false teaching, then you need to fire me, all right, or whoever's in the pulpit. But we, we, the Word of God is precious, and we are hoping to convey it to you. So what is it that's hindering you from taking your next step? That is the longest point of this uh, particular uh, uh, list of appeals, because uh, I, I think it's the overarching one for all of them. I think it's the foundation for all of them. But So leave your self-imposed prisonment, whatever it is. The door is open. Walk in the freedom you have in Christ. And we could stop there, but I really can't because there's more. to. The, let's go to appeal of love number two. Receive one another with a whole heart. These are amazing words that Paul's writing here. Allow the extreme power of the gospel to express itself through you. Just because I know there are a lot of words up there, I have to leave it up there just for a little bit longer. But receive one another. We're talking about the relationships that exist within this room. We're talking about the relationships that exist between Christians and Christians across the globe. But for you to apply this to your life, for me to apply it to my own life, we need to receive one another with a whole heart. And you're going to be shocked when you see who Paul uses as an example of this. Allow the extreme power of the gospel to express itself through you. Let's look at the text. He says in 12b, You have not injured me at all. Paul is speaking to the Galatians. You know that because of my physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, and did not dis, um, uh, you did not despair or reject but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So let's think about this. He says, you have not injured me at all. That Paul is laying, he's, he's saying, listen, we are in relationship, Galatians, and we're good. You've not harmed me. I'm not coming to you and, and saying what I'm saying because I'm angry at you. I'm not saying because I don't love you. I'm actually saying every word. I'm writing every word because of my passionate love for you, my love for God. Don't misunderstand my words. You have not injured me at all. I mean, he's not happy with them and what their decisions, but that's not his point for writing. He says, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. There was some aspect of Paul's life. We do not know if it was the thorn in the flesh or if he had malaria or if he had any number of other things. Paul's not worried about us understanding his physical ailment, his physical infirmity. He's interested in reminding the Galatians that that was the context in which he was brought to them. God, in his sovereignty, allowed Paul to have some sort of physical infirmity so that he would land in the churches of Galatia. And we don't know what it is, and we have to be okay with that. But he's saying, you know this. You are fully aware of this, Galatians. And my trial, which was in my flesh, it was a physical ailment. This trial that was in my flesh, some people wonder if he was uh, disfigured of some sort or any number of ideas are out there. But notice, who does Paul use as an example of Christ-like love, of wholehearted, vested love? He uses the Galatians as the example. He says, I'm not angry at you. My trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. The idea there is that they could have, understandably, have rejected him. Think of a, excuse me, think of a leper. When someone sees a leper, they run the other way. Not Jesus. Jesus goes towards the leper. 
He even goes to the point of touching the leper, to heal that leper, to love that leper, that person, that outcast. Jesus Christ comes and loves like nobody else is willing to love. The Galatians loved Paul with a whole, with their whole heart. He, he said, listen, you, you didn't despise me or reject me. The, the sense is that they could have, but you received me. I think Paul could have been, in a sense, like the leper when Jesus touched him, like he touched me. Of all things, yeah, I'm healed, but man, he touched me. No one touches me. Paul is talking to the Galatians. He's saying, listen, I had this, whatever this ailment was, and everybody else around me and, you know, were running away. You received me, and you did not despise, and you did not reject. There's a reason for that, and we'll get to that in a minute. But he says, you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. This is amazing that they loved him with that kind of love, that they were receiving him as even if he was Jesus Christ. Now, what this helps us understand is that their faith was genuine. They had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is commending them for their past. He says, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? He says, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Pretty disgusting picture agreed. But let's enter into the the force of language here. Have you ever gone to somebody and said, or, or pointed to somebody and said, you know that guy? You know that? They'd give you the shirt off their back. They love people in a way that most people aren't willing to do. I know people in this church who do things the majority of us would not be willing to do, and they do it out of the love of God, and they do it out of the empowering of God. God has gifted them to be hospitable. God has gifted them to love with a love that just shows Christ all over, Right? And, and, and I, I know a few of those people. Maybe you know some of those people. It's a beautiful thing. But listen, they're not just giving the shirt off their back, right? We're just con- that's a figure of speech. What about, hey, I, you know, uh, I, I'd give my right arm for something, right? Oh, that, I'm right-handed. To give my right arm is a pretty extreme thing. Here is this figure of speech that's being used here. Paul is saying, you have loved me, Galatians, with such a wholehearted love that demonstrated your commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you were willing to even, if possible, and it's not, that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. It is believed that the eyes were considered the most precious part of the human body. And so for this terminology to be used, it's the idea of they, w- they could go no further to express their love and appreciation for Paul. Paul uses the Galatians as the example that we are to follow when we talk about this idea of receiving another, one another with a whole heart. We just talked two weeks ago, uh, about two or three weeks ago, I think it was just two weeks ago, the Sanctity of Life Sunday, and we talked a whole, a whole list of people that we are called to love in Christ. Paul was one of those outsiders and those despicable people that people would have it's it's the it's the the person that people would have walked around on on the road to Damascus right but uh he was the one that people would have rejected but no the Galatians received him with a whole heart and so we as we think about how to live this out in our own lives we are to allow the extreme power of the gospel to express itself through us we are to be that we are to be the Galatians who will will recognize other believers for who they are. And, and our shared intimacy with God is supposed to overflow into our relationship of love that we have with one another. But it's the gospel that makes that possible. I, I skipped this question because I think it's going to lead us into appeal number three. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? How would you answer that question? You know Galatians. You've been studying it with me. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? I think the blessing that they enjoyed was the gospel. The word of God that freed them from all of the, all the wickedness and all the other meaninglessness of life. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? You received me this way. You were willing to pluck out your eyes if it was possible. What, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? 
when we get to appeal to love number three, we're going to see don't be fooled. The truth is never your enemy. The gospel is true. They believed it. That was the blessing they had received. So he says, have I therefore become your enemy because I'm continuing to tell you the truth? I don't know if you've ever had a brother or sister come up to you and share the truth that you just didn't want to hear, but you knew was true. It's hard. It's hard to be that person, to look another person in the eye and point out their sin when you know you're a sinner too. But God never tells us to tell others about their sin and, and, and shy away from it because you're putting yourself in comparison to one another. He says, no, sin is an offense against me. Confront your brothers and sisters in their sin. Love them passionately, tenderly love them and tell them the truth. That's what Paul is doing. He's saying, listen, I haven't changed my message. I haven't changed my love. I still hold you near and dear. That's why the words are coming out as, as harsh as they were at the beginning. But just in case, parent to a child or pastor to a congregation, just in case you might think I don't love you, let me tell you, I love you. He's saying, have I become your enemy? Because I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm speaking the truth in love. Don't be fooled, folks. The truth is never our enemy. If someone's going to speak the truth into your life because God's word establishes it as truth, you're called to receive it. So really, there's just two points I wanted to bring out here. One, we need to, as believers, as Christians who are committed to the word of God, we need to share the truth and continue to share it. We need to persevere in sharing it, even when we are met with opposition. You go to a brother once and you can or sister and you confront them in their sin and they reject you so you bring another person along and you say brother or sister you're in sin and they reject you and then you bring them before the church and you say brother or sister you're in your sin and 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 the hope at every step of that matthew 18 process is that they would reconcile they would confess their sins they would repent of it and and he who causes a brother or sister to to repent of a sin wins the restoration of that brother, and restores that brother or sister to right fellowship with the body. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that's true of freedom. Share the truth and continue to share it, even when you are met with opposition. But the other side of the coin is receive the truth. I don't know which one's harder. It probably depends on the circumstances. But receive the truth and persevere. Continue to receive it, even when you lack confidence in the messenger. The Galatians had apparently lost confidence in Paul. Paul had not lost his confidence in himself. He was standing on the gospel. And he never stopped loving. But, but he, the Galatians needed to hear the truth. Paul was saying, you heard it in the beginning and you came to faith and you loved me with a wholehearted love. You would have even plucked out your eyes. But now I'm telling you the truth and you want to despise me and you're separating from me? You may have lost confidence in me, but understand the truth is the truth. Appeal number four. Don't be fooled. People with wrong motives will seek to separate you from those who love you with a whole heart. You know, prior to this letter and prior to the, well, let's say it this way. Prior to the false teachers coming into the Galatian churches, there was probably a mutual wholehearted love between the Galatian Christians and Paul. But you had these people come in. Wolves and sheep's clothing. Bringing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ plus an observance of the law. And they were causing damage. This is taking place in, in the, in the uh, ministry of one of our missionaries, the kings, as they, as they served. They were on furlough. And as they went back, they found out that while they were gone, someone sowed the wrong teaching of prosperity gospel into their church body into their family. In, can you imagine the devastation that it would have in our ranks if, if certain teaching came in and, and half the church believed it and the other half didn't believe it and it would cause uh, all kinds of confusion, all kinds of hurt. 
And that's what happens with the kings, and we need to pray for that. Actually, let's just pray for that because I forgot to pray for it earlier. Father, I pray that you would bless the kings as they seek to serve you faithfully in this context, as they seek to faithfully love with a wholehearted love these people that you have brought them uh, that, that you've brought them into their lives. These people that may have come to faith in Christ because of the preaching and teaching of, of um, our missionary. Lord, I pray that you would uh, step into that situation. Bring resolution, bring restoration, bring confrontation of truth, bring humility, bring acceptance. All those things, Father, that you are able to do because of the power of the Spirit, Lord. We pray that you'd intervene in that situation and save that church from harm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But that's what we're talking about here. People with wrong motives will seek to separate you from those who love you with a whole heart. That's what we see. They is the only reference to the false teachers in this passage. Third person plural is just saying that these people, right? Paul doesn't even distinguish them or, or dignify them with names. He just says these, these people that are causing this dissension, they zealously court you, but for no good. So let's just think about this. They zealously court you. I, there are people that believe that courting is the way to date. I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just saying when you're courting someone, you're being really nice to them. You're treating them with respect and honor, right? And it should never change. And, and, and so Paul does say there's a good kind of courting that is supposed to happen. This is not romance courting. He's saying that there are these wolves in sheep's clothing are coming on the scene, and they are zealously they are, they are with, with interest and concern for you. They are, they are courting you. They are coming alongside. They're, they're, they're doing things for you. And you think it's because they appreciate you. And Paul says, no, they do it for no good. It is not good what they are doing. And folks, there are believers who will come in to a church and so their particular view of a doctrine or their particular non-doctrine positions, and they will sow discord in a church, and people will leave a church, and there's nothing the church can do. There's nothing can do when individuals will fail to express wholehearted love towards another, but they come in and they... Pss, 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 pss. And what happens? People are hurt. The body is hurt. People are leave. Things are never resolved. It happens. People are zealous for their own purposes and their own motivations. They want to exclude you, Paul says, that you may be zealous for them. There's the true motivation. It's totally selfish. But he says they want to exclude you. The big question is exclude you from what? And there's all kinds of, of answers to that. But I think in the context what it's saying, Paul is saying, listen, I love you. Don't misunderstand me. I love you. They're trying to exclude you from me. They're trying to exclude you in the bigger picture from fellowship of the body. They're sowing wrong teaching and they're going and they're going to reap harm to you. I do not want that. They want to exclude you. They want to pull you out from among us and have you to themselves for their purposes. It's happening in churches around the world. Our fifth appeal to love is don't be foolish. So don't be fooled twice, but don't be foolish. People with right motives will seek to bless you always. This is part of the good news. Sometimes the good news is best expressed in the contrast to the not-so-good news. There are those out there, wolves in sheep's clothing, that will come in and subvert and cause harm. But there are those people with right motives. They're here in this room. I hope it's the majority of people in this room, but people with right motives will seek to bless you. And we're going to add it on there always because of the context of this passage. He says, but in contrast to these, but it is good to be zealous in, in good things always. It, it, there is a, a good way to be zealous for, for others. And Paul thinks that he is basically doing that for the Galatians. But they have failed to do it for him. The love that they had for him before is not being expressed now. He says, but it, it is good. In, in contrast to these negative uh, things that are true, it is good to be zealous in good things always. Paul says, not only when I am present with you. He's saying, listen, I think well of you always. Not for my gain, not for my self-interest, but whether I'm in your presence sharing, you the sharing with you the gospel where you come to faith or whether I'm writing a letter to you which has some harsh sounding words. Please understand, the truth is what I'm after. 
and I am zealous for good things for you. That is the heart of Paul. That is the heart that we are to have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And our final appeal that we'll consider today is we need to be willing to speak strong words for the purpose of producing Christ-likeness in others. We see it all through this text. We see it through the whole letter that Paul is willing to do this. But, but listen, are you willing to speak? I put strong words. I didn't know exactly how to, how to phrase it. But are you willing to speak strong words in order to see Christ-likeness in others take place? I usually put it in the, in the context of a con- confrontation, all right? That's usually where strong words are met. But notice what Paul says. He says, my little children, and, and so this term, my little children, is, it is a talked-about phraseology. He, listen, he's talking to children, but he may be, depending on how the word is translated, he may be talking about the, the most, the most, uh, the smallest of children, the most immature of children. This may be a, this may be an indicator that he's saying, listen, you're really immature in the faith. And that really comes from the context of what comes next. He says, my little children, it is a term of endearment. He says, for whom I labor in birth again. All right, so any lady that's been through the process of birth, you understand this text better than anyone else because Paul is saying, I am currently laboring in birth again. I have done it once for you, Galatians, and I am doing it again. I'm going through the pains of labor that birthed you into faith, and I'm going through similar pain because of your walking in the wrong direction. He's not saying they've lost their salvation. He doesn't say they need to be born again. He's saying, I am the one laboring in birth again. I've done it once. It was painful to to try to express the gospel in such a way that you could understand it. But it worked. The pain paid off. You were birthed in faith. And now, because of these false teachers and your willingness to follow their negative influence, I'm, I'm engaged in it again. That's why I'm writing this letter. He says, I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Again, blow your mind terminology. What he's saying is, I, Paul is saying in one sense, I'm the mother giving birth again. But then he kind of switches things midsection and says, until Christ is formed in you. It's the idea of now the Galatians are in need of Christ being in their womb of being formed. That's the terminology being talked about here. Again, this is a confusing text of Scripture, but I don't think we miss for a moment the heartbeat of Paul. He's saying, you need to come back into right fellowship with God and with me. You need to get rid of these false teachers. I'm laboring in birth again, but I'm willing to do it because I love you. Because I want to see Christ formed in you again. Not again, it's it's not that they've lost their salvation. He's saying you've drifted. You need to go back to your first love, as he told, I think it was the Ephesian church. He said, I would like to be present present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Again, this whole idea of doubts is other translations say he's perplexed. It's the same ending in the previous section in verse 7, where he said, You know, I'm worried that I, I fear that I labored in vain. He's saying, I have doubts about you. What is going on in your churches? I would love to be present with you because when, when I was present with you before, you received me as, as, as if I was Jesus Christ and you would have plugged out, plucked out your eyes for me. But now I'm writing a letter because I can't be with you. But my heart hasn't changed and the truth hasn't changed. So six appeals of love. Just quickly, leave yourself imprisoned, your self-imposed imprisonment. You have the ability in Christ to leave whatever it is holding you back from your steps of faith. Receive one another with, with your whole heart. Don't, don't go in half measure in your relationships in this church. How are you doing? I'm fine. I've done it. But listen, I'm not saying you say it to a total stranger, but if there's a brother or sister in Christ where God has brought you into relationship, it is a lie to tell them that you're fine if you're not. If they are a person that can minister to you, 
I'm not saying you have to, if you don't know the person, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that there is a point in time where the, the, the community of Christ is supposed to be all in with one another. We're supposed to be wholehearted. And we are supposed to allow the gospel to come into every single relationship within our life. And where there's discord, it will bring peace. Where there is anger, it will bring love. That The gospel is able to change every relationship that is somehow dysfunctional. But we need to be able to receive one another wholeheartedly. We need not be fooled. The truth is never your enemy. If the truth is spoken and it's true of you, own it. Don't be fooled. People will, with wrong motives will seek to separate from those you love with a whole heart. There will be people that seek to do that within our community. We have to be on guard. But I'll be honest with you, if we have this wholehearted love for one another, it won't happen. Don't be foolish. People will, uh, with the right motives will seek uh, to bless you. Don't push people away. Don't, don't think that people somehow are not. They're thinking the best of you. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Receive uh, the love that they are extending to you. And be willing to speak strong words for the purpose of producing Christ-likeness in others. Paul was willing to do it. We need to be willing to do it. Our shared intimacy with God is the basis of our love for one another. That's the truth of the gospel. So let's love one another for God's glory and our growth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the love that exists in this room. I thank you for the relationships. I pray that you would establish new relationships. I pray that you would knit our hearts together so that we are a community that loves like Jesus, that we are a community that understands that we need to both um, speak the truth and receive the truth. And Lord, we can only do that because of the Spirit in our lives. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts that we might respond to it daily and that you would be glorified as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.